Wouldn't it be great if three idiots picked apart each episode of your favorite podcast? We do that. Wouldn't it be great if we discussed the newest episode, ongoing theories, and predictions for what comes next? We do that. Wouldn't it be great if they didn't ruin the podcast at all and kept everything spoiler-free? We don't do that. You've been warned. Welcome to We Do That, a Taz fancast. I'm your co-host, Chris. And I'm your cold host. It's because I have a cold. Jake. And I'm your other co-host, Colin. This week's episode, all of the various Amnesty Finale episodes rolled into one. Get ready, y'all. Yeah, there's uh, a quick synopsis for you guys. Now, in this synopsis, I have four and a half hours to cover, so... Get comfy, you know, put on your comfortable slippers. Um, put on We need to find out what audio way to do the SpongeBob five hours later. Yeah. Title like card. Propeller spin, uh, whatever. Um, anyway, uh, so and I'm going to, I guess I'm going to call them finale part one and finale part two, even though the first one wasn't really the, anyway, uh, in the first part of the finale, the first episode. Uh, our trio is still traversing through Sylvain and going deeper into the castle, down under the earth, uh, to um, confront the Quell. Basically, the entire episode is that, and with various details that I think we'll touch on. Um, they meet up with Heathcliff, who shows them to the temple. They go down to the Quell, where they defeat it by Aubrey proclaiming she is Sylvain. But the episode ends with uh, 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 imminent destruction of their planet, uh, of Sylvain anyway, through some unknown source, which is coming from the gate that they then decide to blow up. When they blow up the gate, they are pulled through, and now we're into episode two, they're pulled through to uh, some alien world, another alien world, with giant computers everywhere, that reveals, you know, basically the mystery behind these gates. Um, and then they fight that big bad and beat it. And then epilogue. I kind of rushed through that second episode. I think you hit the, I think you hit the pertinent moments of it. Um, I guess the one other moment I would mention of it is they summon Billy back. They bring back Billy. Everybody's favorite goat slash movie star. Yeah, he's, uh, yes, exactly. So a lot, that's probably the most thorough synopsis I've done in our entire podcast history. I don't feel great about it. Um, It was a little too detailed for my taste. So let me summarize further. Some shit happened. That's That's that good Colin content that we come here for. Mm-hmm. Really hitting the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, but none of the middle bits. That feels that feels that feels better for me. Um, I'll be honest, y'all. I'm not sure how I want to approach talking about the finale because it was good and I liked it. And there's a part of me that kind of just wants to leave it there 
and be done. Well, this will be a and short I was like, episode. That's a good way to leave amnesty. No, I agree. This uh, these these two episodes reminded me of why I fell in love with the Adventure Zone. I think it took all of the promise that Amnesty has had and really distilled it into actionable moments, and it just really worked. Yeah, I I I thought like the first episode was a little plodding and was a little over long. But the second, when Duck wakes up for the second time, uh, and was like, oh, shit, we got a minute and 34 seconds. It's like they picked up a pace and an urgency that didn't let up throughout the rest of the finale. It um, was brilliant. And I think that that plot-wise turnabout was just so great. Uh, I think Griffin did a very impressive job of dropping those clues without certainly... I never caught on to that where there would be like a bigger, a bigger bad than the quell. I thought we would get sort of into, I thought it would all be quell related, but to have it be so disconnected as it was, was, was really cool and fun to have that, that reveal happen and be actually surprised by it. Well, and it's, uh, I, I reflect on that and I think that, you know, there there were always those moments in the episodes that really stood out and were like, okay, this feels weird. Like, yeah. here's this, you know, so when when Ned is briefly in a computer space for two seconds, you know, it all felt a little weird. So I do wish a little bit, a little bit, because I, I agree, like, that sort of out of left field, like, oh, wait, here's this well, other problem was really meaningful, but I wish that thread had been a little stronger. Here's here's the reason I'm okay with it, is because the player characters never did anything to go after it. Yeah, that's oh, very true. Okay, they, okay, they, that's like, fair. totally chose to, chose to not pursue that in any way. And they, they pursued, uh, yeah, no, I'm not casting fault or anything, but like, they pursued the Sylvain angle, and they understood Sylvain and more or less understood Sylvain and the Quell and that kind of stuff. And certainly their connections there helped, but they never really went back to Billy. They never pressed Billy for more information. Um, well, no, and, and and you are absolutely right. From a character place, that makes sense because of course Billy's just a Sylvain. Like, these other pieces only felt weird because we're sort of weird third-party listeners, right? Because it's our job to listen to him and, and yeah. think about, like... Oh, well, how do these things fit together? I tell you, I was impressed. I thought when Duck woke up the second time and said, the gate, the gate, we have to destroy the gate. I was like, where did you get that from? Because, like, from the, and maybe I just misheard the vision he had, but I don't even remember saying, like, it originated from the gate. Like, I don't know how he connected the sky being torn apart and all of this happening with the gate. Um, obviously, it was the right move. But right, yeah. I, I certainly didn't pick up on... I didn't pick up on how Duck deduced that necessarily, except that my brain was like, yep, he gets it. I'm ready to go along with whatever plan he's got right now. Well, yep. and, I, and I mean, I think, I think that's part of it, was like, he had 90 seconds to save two worlds and I think that due to his connections with Minerva 
you know, that, that sort of, oh, hey, here are two, like, weird, like, wormholy connections. Oh, yeah. wait, our worlds are weirdly connected. Like, if something's going to cause a destructive problem, this is, this is the best source. Yeah, I mean, and that, and, and yeah, I, I don't know how, I mean, obviously it worked, obviously it was great. Um, and I just thought from that moment when he said, like, we have not, we have a, a hundred, a minute yeah, and I, I 34 seconds. Yeah. 128 um, seconds. Yeah, there it was go. just, the pacing was so on point. Um, what a great way to end the first episode. Well, and I think, yeah. I think one of the other things, and I mean, it's been a strength of amnesty all the way through, but with these last two episodes, like the production value has just been yeah. through the roof. Like yeah. that, uh, the audio and the music and all of the way that they're using the, the different sound effects and the different voice effects and all of this just sold such a tight package that was, I don't know, just a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, especially um, I think the two parts that stand out to me in regards to that is when they were down fighting the Quell, when uh, Aubrey repeats herself and says, no, you didn't hear me, I am Sylvain. Whatever, the the way they amplified his, her voice, I guess, in for that effect was... Very good, I thought. Really stood out as... And, and I was thinking about it from, like, Travis's point of view. Like, if we're sitting here in a, in a, a you know, a Skype or a Discord meeting like this, and somebody said that, like, it wouldn't carry that much power. Yeah. It's but such you, an interesting thing, and I wonder if... I wonder how that conversation goes internally for them. Like, is that just Griffin maybe making notes as they go or like writing down timestamps of how he does it, or is it entirely Griffin re-listening to their whole session in post and then figuring out how to slice it all together? Cause it's, I mean, I edit our joke podcast and it's a not insignificant amount of work. I mean, it takes me a little while and I don't even try that hard. Like imagining like composing music and doing all that stuff is hours and hours yeah. and hours of having to go through all that stuff. Well, and to so, pull out those moments and get it right. And so the, the music is one of the other things that I... And, and this jumps ahead a bit to the, the second episode. Yeah. But the, the music was just so phenomenal. And the way it told stories, right? And, and so for me, it was when Billy has summoned his avatar of the giant man with long hair. And there's which, few notes of... Which, Sephiroth oh, theme, yeah, that he pulls in was like it was. It was just a magical moment that worked emotionally for the scene, but then was also really cool if you knew where all this like story came from. You know, this is why Billy is pulling this in, and this is why the music is here. It was just a really cool moment for me. So, Joe, did Joe play Final Fantasy, whichever one that was oh, from? Hell yeah. Cause like I like that, that went over my head. I was not a Final Fantasy kid. I am outside that world. So I picked up on the reference from the internet after the fact. Uh, I did not 
catch that. I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I didn't pick up on the theme. Just yeah. like now there's some knight with long hair and a sword. What the f- are we doing here? Okay, I'm glad because I felt like I had missed a big chunk of episode when that happened. If I was supposed to know what was going on, because it didn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah, uh, okay. it was. It, well, and it. I imagine a lot of their. I, I imagine their audiences. Kind of, what? When did that Final Fantasy come out? Which one I was say it? It was '97. So that was Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, so half their audience, half of the Macro's audience probably hasn't even been born in 1997, right? Like, and, and there are Cer- a lot of them... Certainly not old enough to be playing Final Fantasy, yeah. Yeah, and, th- and then there are a lot of them like us who were old enough and may or may not have been. But for those people who knew what it was, what a cool Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah, like, and, no, and so I guess, I guess that's where I'm coming from. It was like, you know... To, to be able to tie Billy's story together that way. Rather than rather than just Oh hey, Duck and Billy are having a conversation and Billy's playing Final Fantasy Seven and Spoiler alert, Duck does the really kind thing and lies to him about Aerith's coming back before he, you know takes him out. Takes Billy out. And then to have it all come back at the end it was just a really cool moment knowing all of that story. Yeah. And I don't know if that's so sort of, I was going to say, I don't know if all of that was planned from the moment duck walks into that room with Billy playing PlayStation. I'm guessing it wasn't because Aubrey summoned Billy and I forget what Griffin says exactly, but he's like, Oh, you, he says something because you know, the boys just did something he wasn't expecting again, and there go his notes for part of this encounter. Right, yeah. I did, like, there was one moment, I think it's Justin, says, like, Griffin's giving me that, oh, no, what are they doing face, which I thought was very, very funny. Yeah. Or or the moment when, uh, at the beginning of the second part, when Justin is playing Duck, talking to Beacon, but realizing that he doesn't have all the information and he talks about <laughs> Griffin paralysis. And it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, <laughs> this is hard. God, they were just, they were good. The finale, especially the finale part two, I guess, especially just a good, just good. Everything. Yeah, so I mean, good. Oh, it was very I good. Mean, I guess I'm, I'm just wondering like, uh, like Billy, do you have any powers? I mean, could have got us a ninja. That would have been cool, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the I do w- appreciate the rationalization of like we need someone who understands what's going on here. Like, what if they had just called in, I don't know, an elephant <clears throat> to help? Like that that wildly changes how this entire story goes down. Well, what one thing that occurs to me, um, uh, well, I think two things I want to say. First of all. The beginning of part two with like the previously on that bleeds straight into the story with those with that production effect and everything. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. I agree. Right. Like and it was such a, a good way to tie it into it for a story reason. Not just here's a previously on. But So I will say I was actually slightly frustrated by that because I couldn't tell where the episode started and which which was like. 
which bits of this are new to me and which bits of this have I just forgotten, but I've heard already. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I struggled and that's, that I think is just a Chris issue of struggling to sort of separate out a Chris and have a, <sighs> well, and there were, uh, I agree with you, Chris, cause there were also times where the, whatever modulation they were doing with the voices, it was hard to see what they were <laughs> to see, to hear what they were trying to say. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, especially with some of the, um, like the, I guess, computer speak or like the, uh, group voice think group mind. Yeah. Um, and I think it was it was enough to get the gist of it, which it was probably most important at that point. But it was it was those couple moments, and I've I've noticed that when they've done effect like callback effects like that in the past, where they pulled audio from other episodes, um, I, which I think a credit to them, super consistent production value that they can pull all old audio and have it sound as good as new audio. They've clearly figured out where they're going to settle, because um, we haven't. Um, <laughs> but like not being able to tell when we got into like the live of this episode was, was just very slightly frustrating for me at the front end. I think also coupled with the fact that I was staring down two and a half hours of, uh, adventures on episode. And it's like, Oh God, if it's two and a half hours of this, I'm not going to know what the fuck to talk about when we do our podcast. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a fair point. Um, and I think the other thing that uh, occurs to me is like, you know, at the end when they were fighting the quell and they defeated the quell in episode part one, I was like, well, there's another episode. Yeah. Don't tell me it's going to be a full hour of just epilogue. I was scared of that a little bit. I, sure. I, I 100% was. And I figured just all of these, you know, light people questions would just go unanswered. And, and that's where I was worried for a minute there, too. And, and and that sort of gets back to why I, I hoped those threads would be just a little stronger throughout. Was because it was like, oh, they've realized that those were threads that didn't need to go anywhere. And in the interest of moving on, they're going to get dropped. Right. Um, and so I, I am thrilled that they didn't get dropped and actually came back in a really meaningful and satisfying way rather than just you know a, a throw off line here or there to say oh we're tying this up or we're not tying that up yeah i mean it is it is so interesting to me though to have spent the entire finale episode the last episode dealing with a plot line that we just got so few hints of during the last how, how many episodes was Amnesty? 50-something? No, 36. 30, 36. Um, like, that is that is a lot of time to not get more details about it. And I was... I don't know if I felt uh, bamboozled, maybe, but it was a little weird to feel like the Quell plotline came to an end. Oh, wait, here's this other thing that you weren't even paying attention to. Me, Chris, wasn't paying attention to. Um, and I think, you know, part of that is that I assume it's absolutely true. The player characters didn't pursue it. So it didn't, didn't come up any further, but it's also like how, 
I mean, Griffin has clearly known about this for a very long time and had this in play. Could could there have been more to keep keep me informed so that I would know what know what to be looking for? Well, and I don't I, know. It, it I don't know if there's any like discontent there. There's no, a little and, discontent and, there on my part for what happened, I guess. And so that's a place where I'll be interested to hear in something like a the the Adventure Zone zone. Yeah. You know, similar to when they talked about balance and Griffin was like, okay, well, this was when I really started to put the pieces for the whole story together to yeah. know when that moment in amnesty was. Well, well, and it's interesting too, because they've talked about how amnesty has been a little more free form than balance was in terms of how Griffin has scripted the campaign, but to still have those elements going back pretty far in the various monster hunts, Griffin must have had like a crazy branching storyline to be able to adapt to keep those moments in while dealing with whatever dumb decisions the the three player characters made. Well, yeah, because I mean, the white lights have always been there, right? Yeah. And uh, so, not. I mean, I don't think. I mean, at, at I least from Hunt Two. Right. Well, probably another one. Like, not the first. Bear, weird bear, bomb, bomb, but certainly from Water Monster. Well, but and I so, think you know. I think there's a lot of. I'll, I'll be interested to hear how that writing happens. You know, when when did that become the thread that hid in the background and moved all of these pieces together? Versus, yep. uh, this is another thing just happening. I'll be interested in it as well because, like, the water elemental does not seem to be like, yes, it was a white light, but it wasn't this, it didn't seem to be the same sort of creature of white light as the later ones. And so it seems like one of those things where maybe Griffin put it out there of, uh, I'm not quite sure what this is but we'll figure it out later. Um, and that's a, that's a fair point too. Cause if I think about the, what we now know of the premise of the bomb bombs, like to, to escalate war between earth and Sylvain, the water elemental doesn't really fit. Right. It wouldn't what, have done that. Right. It wouldn't like a, nothing like that seems to exist on Sylvain. And well, but the, and it, it gets back to the conversations that the character had. It talks about, it, it, it talks to, rather, the intelligence behind the bomb bombs. You know, part of that being, Aubrey's coming into her firepowers, and so here is something that is, you know, Pokemon That's archetypally. Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't, but... I don't, well, I don't know that there was that much intelligence behind the bomb bombs. Because, like, from what I could tell in that final episode from, which, by the way, I love, like, the computer voices and, like, 20.8% affirm. <laughs> like, that was, I thought it was great. Um, but, like, their idea was, it seemed to be, at least, if you connect two highly, two worlds with a lot of aggression and violence, they will just eventually attack each other through the gate. 
And so yeah. it, it seems like maybe the bomb bombs, they only appear around the gate. Maybe that's just to draw attention to that area so people will find the gate and... Yeah, it references them as provocateurs. Yeah. But to that effect, certain things in the back, like why would the gate be invisible to people who don't know about it? That would not be an effective way to get people, unless that was something Mama figured out how to do to it. Um, it doesn't seem like they would, the the collective mind would want them to be hard to find. Yeah, I mean, those are the, I think there are a couple little lore bits in there or like approach like strategies f- that seem to fall apart. In the, the light of the of the reality. Well, yeah, and like, so I wonder if maybe the idea, you know, the assumption was that these two worlds are violent. So they have given them the opportunity. Uh, the, the opportunity to destroy each other. Not assuming that they, again, assuming that they will but still leaving that option there for them not to. Well, I mean... You know, and so that's like, that That would be why the gate isn't well, always visible. But, because, it, well, it's not that it's not always... It's that it's always invisible until you know about it. Right. Like, it's not... And it used to be that it only worked on the full moon. Like, that doesn't... Those two things, if you're lo- trying to link two violent worlds so they'll destroy each other, those two things are inconsistent and with with that goal. And I think it's more just originally it was going to be something a little more fantastical, something a little more maybe earthly or spiritual or something. and ended up being like a highly rational, uh, sentient computer people, um, which is fine. I thought it was great. Uh, and I'm fine with that kind of retconning. Um, but I, all that to say is I don't think that that string of how that string of this is what's behind it goes back all the way back to swim kid swimming in the pool. Uh, yeah. And I, I think too, when you look at just the pairings, if we're talking about Sylvain, a planet with supposedly only one city on the whole planet and then earth where you dropped it in Kepler, West Virginia. It, it seems like, uh, from what we are to presumably know about the, the whatever species originated on Lotus prime and is now this consciousness like that location pairing doesn't make any sense. Well, to achieve their goal. So I, I think two, Two small things with that. Uh, I totally agree with Kepler, but apparently before Kepler was in New York City, which makes a little more sense. And yeah. I, I think, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, they weren't effective. But if you think about it, like, humans at some point did go over there and blow up the crystal, um, which effectively sent Sylvain on this long spiral to at the end of which it would have destroyed itself if our gang had not intervened. And so it's not that it only had one city. It's that by the time we 
we were introduced to it, it only had one habitable city that was right around the crystal. But you raise a good point, though, of, of we sort of saw how this could have played out, and it's Sylvain is destroyed, but the majority of Earth is fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I, they would have just linked Earth to another hyper... And maybe that's when the gate moved, is like, well, probably not. planets or something. Yeah, like, okay, well, Earth, you know, it's like... Well, it's like conquered it, that it, one, so give it's like number. March Madness of planets destroying each other. <laughs> this is why and, we get the Miss Universe pageant. And you know, again, because our team was there, it worked. But if they hadn't been there to stop the Quell, the corrupted monsters would have just kept appearing. Yeah, like, and so yes, it. it it would have worked, but well, it wasn't. It's supposed to be mutually assured destruction. The planets destroy each other. Yeah, right. And it doesn't seem like without the group's intervention that the Quell would have been able to jump the gate. Well, uh, yeah. The other thing I was thinking of is um, Minerva destroyed another planet, and then her planet was destroyed by an asteroid. So maybe that's what this group does with uh, survivors. Like one planet survives, and then they just nuke it from orbit. Oh yeah! Just- if you are violent enough to engage, and then still hardy enough to survive, you're obviously too much of a risk. And like you in that calculus, it makes sense to take care of you. Yeah. Which I always thought would be a cool conceit for, like, a sci-fi movie or something. Like, an alien, alien's way out in, like, the Kuiper Belt or whatever, just nudges someone on some, uh, you know, rock out there that then puts them on an orbit to uh, hit Earth at certain times. And once a planet can save itself from an asteroid, then they're ready for alien contact. I always thought that would just be like a cool metric. It's like, hey, once- hey Chris, make sure you cut that part out so that we can write that. Wait, no, <laughs> I want to flesh that out more. So do they keep sending asteroids at the same planet? Yeah, because like because what it'll do is it'll reset evolution. Yeah, I mean, dinosaurs. Oh, so like clearly every 10,000 years they send an asteroid. Yeah, and then when the when the planet can stop the asteroid from hitting itself, we evolved Bruce Willis and space drilling cowboys. Yeah, and then we saved ourselves, and then the aliens show up and go, "You've passed our litmus test. You've solved our asteroid puzzle. You've solved our asteroid puzzle." Which I mean, it's not that different from uh, uh, this is going on too long for what this is worth, but it's not that different from it. Let's stay here for a while. It's not that different from 2001 A Space Odyssey, where they have to get to the moon to find the next uh, big black obelisk that then sends them to Jupiter, where the next one is. So it's like, it's, right. it's once you are smart enough to get there, more will be open to you. It's, it's, it's just like any video game ever. Oh, fair. Yeah. You're, you're talking about quests. Well, get to the moon, and then when you get to the moon, go get me ten cobalt but, hides. But and then once you have ten cobalt hides, you can go to Jupiter. Well, quests quests that you don't know are there. 
Oh yeah, no, because I don't know that the quest on Jupiter is going to be to get me yellow cobalt hides. Well, no, but I'm I wouldn't saying... have thrown out those seven yellow cobalt hides I had before to make room for this one piece of bread I thought I wanted. Well, like in the conceit of 2001: Space Odyssey, we just send people to the moon because we do, and there happens to be a big obelisk there. That then sends a signal to Jupiter, and we don't know why, so there must be something at Jupiter. And so we go out to a moon of Jupiter, and there's another obelisk. And it makes us more stupider. Uh, I think in the book, it actually sends us to a wormhole, which sends us to another galaxy, but it's not really here nor there. Um, Literally, because it's nowhere. Black holes. Great movie and great book. Uh, this has been Colin's Book Corner. Uh, anyway, that's always been... I always thought it would be a cool movie or book or something. Like, they go out and just tap a bunch of interplanetary debris that becomes asteroids and whenever the planet can save itself. That is a cool conceit. There is a So there is a book that has some of that. Uh, it's a, a series by Rick Brown, R-Y-K Brown. Um, and it's a sci-fi thing. And they end up weaponizing asteroids as the only weapon to destroy, to destroy the ships of this greater alien superpower kind of thing. Um, it's not very good, <laughs> uh, but it is very fun and it's super quick and it's self-published on Amazon. If you like dumb sci-fi things, go read it. It's a fun, quick read. There's yeah. a lot of them. It's a lot of book. Um, anyway, but we yeah. are here to talk about Amnesty. Supposedly. Yes. Or be inspired to make other media. Uh, uh, can, I, I, can I nitpick? I'd like to nitpick for a minute and yes. talk about the very end of the finale episode. Pick those nits. So, we come, they've defeated... I don't know that we have a name for the creatures, the sentients from Lotus Prime, but they defeat them. And then there are two portals open, one that goes back to Kepler, one that goes back to Sylvain. And yes. Thacker seems to buy into it all right. And is like, you have to pick one, and that's where you're going for forever. And that's fine. And then Aubrey is like, well, let me first psychically reach out to Danny, who's on Earth. No, she's on Sylvain. She she came she came over like with at the, the very end of finale part one, like Mama was over on Sylvain and uh, all of the people that were on Earth, not all of them, but like all of the old Amnesty Lodge people came back over to Sylvain. Maybe not all, all of them did. Uh, well, like I know Mama came through, and I'm pretty sure at the end of finale part one, they mentioned Danny being there as well. Yeah. Because because Aubrey and Danny are talking to each other. Okay. And they're like, oh, I've got something exciting to tell you. Oh, I've got something exciting to tell you. Let's both say it at once. Dr. Harris-Ponkers is anthropomorphic. I'm a, guy, yeah. I'm a god. Okay. I'm going to let that part of my nitpicking go then. And more then like, return to the part that I actually want to like, talk about. More like not picking. No, Which terrible. I want to talk about is Aubrey's uh, or Travis's um, confirmation that Aubrey has stocked up on hair care products. Mm-hmm. Not feasible or practical given all of the things we know about how they've arrived at this situation. Correct. 
it's it's I agree that in that moment Aubrey assumed that she could like take Danny back to Earth with her somehow, like dip or, her toe in real quick. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's another great question. Like, and that's not that's not that's not the conceit. It's you don't get to jump, you don't get to go run a couple of errands and then come back over and then go to Sylvain. Yeah, and I think you know and. You're totally right, Colin, and that's a part I hadn't actually considered, but has is much more worth talking about than my stupid hair care product. <laughs> is like um, Aubrey reaches out to Danny and asks her where she wants to be, but Danny doesn't have a choice. Danny is stuck on Sylvain. Yeah. So I think it would have been, which doesn't, I don't think well, that gets expressed really well. And then I think it would have been great to see Travis make the decision as Aubrey of, do you have to go to Sylvain to be with Danny or? Or do you go back to Earth to whatever that life is? Yeah. Well, I, and, and and that same point is, Mama was on Sylvain. How'd she get back to Earth? Well, she came over. She was in the main. She was part of the fight in the computer lab. Like she was part of the. Oh, she was you're one right, of the. You're right, you're right. She was one of the six people sucked up. Yeah, because she has share uh, enchanted wallpipe. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, Cold medicine. Well, I did. I do I mean, think it got confusing. Don't no worries. Yeah, and I do think I would have liked to see that moment role played a bit more by Travis. I one hundred percent agree with that. Um, well, and I, it almost seems like he missed the, the they collectively missed like what the actual um, circumstances were and what the actual gravity was of the situation of like you can only go to one place and some people are already in that place. Well, I don't, I don't think duck did. And I don't think, uh, 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 Thacker did. I, because, and I think I, I kind of think Griffin saw the misunderstanding. It was just like, look, Danny's in Sylvain. Instead of pressing the issue of like, no, Travis, you got to pick one. He's made Danny say, I want to stay where I am. Right. Yeah, easy enough for him to fix in a role play than to have to dive into any like meta game tabletop kind of stuff. Yeah, especially this deep into the finale. Let's see what no, no, listen to me, Travis. This is what not that yeah. Griffin's ever like that, but No, uh, but it'd be a bad it'd be a bad scene to try to like come back to what that would be. Yeah. Um That was my biggest nitpicky moment. Is the hair care products? Just yeah, not it's not tenable. Can't have happened. No, n- although apparently they did find a way to link the worlds. Uh, I think Minerva can just create a wormhole. No, it was um, Doctor What's her face at the telescope. Was I thought they said like you hear the sound of a sword well, ripping I mean, I through? Think, I think it was because it coincided. Okay. Yeah, because the, the big flash of green light comes out of the telescope. Yeah, like. It was, there was a specific set of conditions that allowed them to. Okay. All right. Uh, fair enough. I, I don't know. I kind of tune out at the epilogue because that's where it gets all mushy and silly and I'm just, eh. It did hit me in the feels a little bit. I'll say that much. For, for someone who didn't particularly care about a bunch of these characters for a lot of this arc, uh, it got me. Yeah, and I don't know what it says about me, but it never does get me. You're stone cold killer. I did like uh, Justin going to Brazil. 
Yes. And then Griffin saying, yeah, for some reason, Juno followed you down here. <laughs> yeah, Griffin had already written that epilogue with him and Juno and just had to place it wherever, <laughs> wherever Justin decided to be. Yeah, I don't think he was expect. He knew he'd pick Earth. He didn't expect him to pick uh, Brazil. Or I like the idea. Uh, his own romantic interest. So right. <laughs> Which I think, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Justin's justification for it was perfect, and I think like it is a much better fit. But I definitely got that, like, oh, that that first that f- my first gut check was, oh, if Juno's there, like, oh, it's yeah, awkward, because, awkward third wheeling it for the whole time. Yeah, God, that's yeah, great. Especially because she was like flirting. <laughs> She's yeah. like, oh, you're breaking the rules, Doug. It's like, do you mind? Like, my <laughs> wife's right outside. I'm like, taken. Damn it. <laughs> like, geez, come on, Juno. Be a little professional. Um, I do wonder how the brothers feel about constantly ending up in romantic relationships with their brother. Uh, well, and it's always... it's Travis seems to go into it well, I guess last time it was more uh, 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 Justin. So at least Ned doesn't. I mean, at least Clint doesn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess role playing a romantic relationship with your father would get odd. Although in Pedals to the Metal, he does get uh, that good plant that action. Fine. Yeah, he gets have that plant action. Oh yeah, that was weird. <laughs> Action. No, uh, don't. You can't. Uh, you can't just take that. Uh, this, uh, I do. I, I feel like it would be weird, but I feel like you get so wrapped up in the fiction that I don't know. I'm also, based on the way they've talked about it, I think they don't do this as a video chat. They do it as an audio call, which I think would make it a lot easier. Because I really? can't imagine looking at you two chuckle fucks and then really <laughs> doing anything productive in a role playing sense. There, uh, the only reason I feel like it would be a video call, and I could be wrong, is that they don't seem to talk over each other nearly as much as I would expect. I think that's good editing on Griffin's part. That and that may be that very well may be. They also uh, probably have pretty good podcast discipline at this point to maybe like read moments better. Uh, one thing I noticed during the finale uh, that I want to mention, um. Travis rolled very poorly. Yeah. And I thought, God, I miss those balance days when he'd just make up his numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to fail at anything. <laughs> right. I do think we missed a couple of level ups because they failed a lot in uh, the prior to finale and then the finale episode. Part like, two. Not, not finale part one, but finale yeah. part two and penultimate finale. There's a lot of bad rolling, and I feel like they should have at least gained enough for an experience point. Well, they were they were crushing it when they fought when they were fighting the Quell, um, <laughs> and just not wasted all their good rolls. Yeah, yeah. For some of that, eh. the Quell. I mean, it doesn't even seem like the Quell fight was all that difficult. No, I mean it was plot based. I think they just had sort of had to get there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you're a god, you're a little OP. Right, a little bit. which which I and, mean, and, I, I mean, again, it fit 
narratively, like, she had to work her way up to reach this power level, and they had mechanics built in that meant it wasn't just a click a win button, but, I mean, you're a god. Hey, hey, there, guy, you're a god, what are you gonna do? What's the deal with gods? I like that, uh... (laughs) Our, our companion to Aubrey is now from Chicago or Brooklyn? I don't know where. That's like a weird city voice we invented. Yeah, it's not great, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, Colin. It's not great. It's not great. Um, uh, I uh, kind of want to talk about next steps in Amnesty. Unless wait, wait, wait. folk have I, more nitpicking they want to do. There's... It's not nitpicking, and this... Oh, isn't it? It's just a little bit. Just, and it's not really nitpicking over this episode. It's nitpicking over Amnesty. You're nitpicking over fucking everything. Well, Amnesty in a... In a yeah, okay. Go for it. Go. Because Stop. here's the thing. Do I it. think... And I think you guys would agree just with this. Just do it. Just I say think it. finale... Talk about what we want to talk about. Talk about. Fin- talk. Fin- do it. F- would this be better as a voice call? Because I will. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, finale part two was the best episode of Amnesty, right? Yes. I think so. I don't read. It was also easily the most railroaded episode of Amnesty. Like, the there was not a world for the players to create. It was Griffin said, I've set this whole thing up. They literally took a monorail on a rail. Uh... And okay, even that's not, wait, that's wait, wait. not fair. That's I know, not fair. I know, I know. That part's not. But here's here's the thing: the the like ultimate moment of Duck stabbing Beacon down into the hive mind. He foreshadowed exactly what you have to do with this fucking Final Fantasy guy stabbing his sword into the hive mind, and then cuts straight to Duck. Like, okay, but but we all did mention. That Griffin did not foresee Billy being the pole. Maybe, or maybe he foresaw them getting to Billy a different way. But at that moment, maybe it was just like, oh, this is too good of an opportunity. I can't pass it up. I don't know. But I'm just saying, great episode. The whole world was built out already by Griffin. Everything was predetermined by Griffin, and the player characters were acting in a much more confined space, and it worked that much better. I mean, I'm not going to fight you here. Do it. Fight me. But also recognize that it was the last episode, and there's not a whole lot of room to keep spinning off crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, they certainly did it in the... I'm pretty sure it's maybe they did it in the epilogue a whole shit ton and yeah, i and because i because those don't actually matter yeah but here's here's the thing is there's nothing and we talked about this earlier there was nothing throughout the story that said it had to end in this location griffin took it to this location that he had already designed and laid out and set out like it was going to end here like this no matter what that's true. I mean, it could have ended with them blowing up the gate and then stopping. Yeah, that could have been enough. Um, and we just would get some answers, but they, we wouldn't get answers because they chose to blow up the gate, and that's a player character decision. Uh, I hear what you're saying, 
and agree. Thank you. I don't know if I entirely agree. Um, I was also reflecting on what made it a good episode. And for as much as I was um, not stoked when I saw the runtime in my Spotify list about how long this thing was going to be, I do think that the Adventure Zone is better in bigger chunks. I think Adventure Zone plays better when you listen to it in, uh, like, Balance Included and Amnesty and anything else. When you binge it, when you go all in one thing, rather than waiting two plus weeks between episodes. Because um, I think all of those comments we have of where, like, this episode didn't really do anything, all those little movements that happen in an episode become more apparent when you listen to more episodes together. And I think that's the 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 trouble of time between them is what creates an issue. And so I was thinking that what made this episode great is they could really dive into it in what was probably like a four-hour play session that they condensed down to two and a half hours, or maybe they did all of it in one go. Um, so then it was, fuck, an entire day probably of them getting these episodes recorded. Um, well, came out like- to be a better, like more compelling piece of fiction uh i agree that and i mean i have binge listened to much of the adventure zone again and again and agree it's better when all the things happen like you can listen to it straight through um and that there is a certain element of that two-week break that seems to damper uh the action um i know people had a lot of complaints during like the suffering game based on that But I think that the way their podcast works, it seems so much better when there's a constraining, when it's, you know, when there's a predefined space for the guys to work within. When it's a. Yeah. I think set pieces serve them well. Yeah. And that's when it's an open canvas, I think they get so overwhelmed with what they can do that they don't really, you know, what I'd like to see is them exercising their ability in this set piece that Griffin has built for them. And that's what this episode had a, well, the finale part two and to a lesser extent finale part one had a lot of. So I, I will want to make, I want to make, I will want to, and we'll do it right now. Make one counterpoint which is uh, Justin's invention of Muffy and What's-His-Face, the, like, secret demon hunting society thing. Yes. Which was entirely an open-world creation and was genius. Sure. Uh, uh, and I I don't fall... I, I, I would agree with that. Um, and at that by the time he made that, the world had been more or less fleshed out. Um. But I don't I, it's and I'm not saying that the rest of Amnesty was bad or anything. I just think the unique improvisational nature of the of the McElroy's humor comes out really in these sort of scenarios and set pieces and is ultimately why, you know, I preferred balance to this because this was so open world and so undefined that it could be difficult for their improvisational humor to, to, to shine through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I hear and, that. And I think that, I think it's that humor. That's really the key to it. 
And it's because these episodes were funny. Like, not necessarily like a capital F funny where every moment was laugh out loud, but they felt lighter. Like, they didn't feel like the... The comedy was the afterthought. It was this was allowed to be fun and playful, and I think that's that's when this is really good. Well, and I I think that is also a defining characteristic of the Adventure Zone when you consider it in the space of like if you put it up next to Friends at the Table, which is fun, but I would not I would never classify that as a comedy podcast. They are not in it to make jokes. Like, they may make jokes, but they're not in it to make funny moments happen. Whereas, I think the McElroys are much more willing to embrace the joke and set up, like, a kind of dumb situation and sit in it for a while, even if it's at the expense of the role play. And I think that's what makes Avenger Zone so so fun and accessible and and um, and entertaining. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. I just think their humor comes through. I mean, I've said my piece. It's, uh, it's, I, I think there's that's a big part of why this was such a good episode. Yeah. Because it highlighted their talents in ways that we haven't seen uh, much during Amnesty writ large. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally get that. And I think you're right. I mean, if we look back... You know, we could take a moment and look back at Amnesty as a whole, and I think there are a lot of moments that stand out for very strange reasons. Like, I, I think, you know, if I think about Amnesty as the entire campaign, the first thing that comes to mind is the French onion soup scene, which was just odd, but mm-hmm. sort of like classic McElroy nonsense. I always think of the naming of the water parks. Yeah, that's a great one. I think the fight scene in the grocery store with the Pizza Hut sign mm-hmm. is another one of those, to your point, Colin, like sort of a constrained set piece of this thing is happening in this location. How do you fix it? And that turned into a really good piece of a piece of you know action. Yeah. What do you, what do you do? Right. Yeah. The setup. The, the very the very explicit setup as as we're sort of dialing out and taking a step out and looking at amnesty you know sort of an amnesty retrospective versus just this finale um, now that we've been through the whole campaign what did you guys think of uh, the whatchamacallit uh, powered by the apocalypse system versus D and D Specifically, monster of the week first D and D, but yeah, I think um, I think I honestly missed some of the minutia of D and D. Yeah, I like having lots of checks, lots of little skills, lots of more closely interpretable actions. And to be fair, it's possible that that's because D and D is what I learned first. And know best and are most comfortable with. But I, 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 also, I, f- I would also argue, um, 
And I'll, I'm going to, I'll speak somewhat for Jake and I on this one. I mean, for the three of us, but I think Jake and I might make the same point is like, as we are the three of us, very much video game people, um, the inventory piece of it, like having a new item, like upgrading an item, I think felt much more compelling in balance than Amnesty's reliance on more thinky solutions. Like you just say how you're going to solve this. It's not like a cool thing you have. Cause we went through one arc where we had like the Narf blaster and, um, I don't remember what then, uh, Aubrey's vest and whatever the fuck duck had jetpack, 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 right. Jetpack. And that, uh, fell flat like we never really revisited magic items again it was just them sort of doing stuff yeah and i think part of that is the boys learning that they can't just take all the aspects of their old campaign and kind of shoehorn it in yeah to their new campaign and i'm glad once they realized that that wasn't really working they just stopped doing it instead of Trying to shoehorn it in. Um, I'm with you guys. I think I prefer D&D. It's, and I think it's for the exact same reason I said earlier about the set pieces. It's like there are more constraints in D&D for you to push up against. Yeah. And they did it all the time. They bent all the rules of D&D. They misused spells. They misused items. They flubbed rolls. Uh, but it's working within slash against those restraints that helped make it so different. I I will say what I did like about Monster of the Week is the way they treated leveling up an experience, like mm-hmm. they the macroes, but also the game system that um, that experience comes out of failures. And that they in the storytelling, this became kind of like a big moment. Not something to be set aside for like busy work to do in between arcs. Like, oh, let's get you caught up and jump three levels and pick some spells or whatever. But like in that moment, I'm gonna save my level up moment. And and um Clinton does it in the finale. Like, I'm gonna save my yeah. level up moment to then get this new skill to be able to use it because that is like a compelling story beat, and I can pick this cool thing from another book, and they're sort of looking at it as another storytelling element versus just a mechanic. And I think that was very cool to see them enact that in play. Um, Justin did it a couple times and Clint definitely did it. Um, Travis, I'm sure did it, but, but Justin and Clint's use of it comes to mind most. Well, and, and, most and you're right. Like that, that actually plays against our, our video game expectations, right? Yeah. Is, you know, I'm, used to and very comfortable with the idea of, okay, yeah, I finished this mission, leveled up, ready to go. I'm just stronger now, going to go do the next mission. Rather than moments that are actually developments for character and plot. Yeah, and I think it's easy to make the case of, like, in the moment of, you know, you've been, in in the TV show moment of this or whatever, you, you know, you see someone get beaten down by the big bad or whatever, and then they find some sort of internal courage that level up that then lets them come back and defeat this boss or whatever it is. Uh, and I think it was cool to see that play out as a, as a game mechanic. And I like the way 
I like the way that they latched onto that's how that system could be used as a storytelling element, which I don't think they would have. I don't think they treated any of the D and D systems as storytelling elements. They treated them as a means to play the game. And yeah. I think they pushed against that a little bit in this monster of the week stuff with the mechanics of the game are very much there to serve the story, which was fun to see them explore. I think I still prefer D and D for the reasons we say, I think all of us seem to prefer sort of that more structured version. Um, but neat to see how they played with that and, and worked that into not just a way that the game is played, but the way they're going to tell this story and, and have this whole podcast play out. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about the level-up system. I, I would agree that I think it's better and stronger in uh, uh, Monster of the Week, especially as they learn to deploy it, because that isn't something they did early on. Right. They still had those lunar interludes after yeah. the... You know, after the first hunt. And I think um, the trick, too, is um, they, I think for a lot of it, talked their way around it. But it certainly seemed like the harm and damage mechanics they abandoned pretty quickly in favor of just sort of talking their way out of situations or sort of describing their way out of situations as opposed to really tracking hit points in D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, well... One thing I really don't like by the Powered by the Apocalypse system is the idea that if you kick ass, harm has to be done back to you. That doesn't, especially if you're using like the Narf Blaster, like a ranged weapon. Right. Like what, what do you mean? It's dumb. The recoil can't possibly generate enough harm to do something or whatever. Yeah. So you have to come up with something that hurts you or hurts the player character. And then sort of the the corollary to that is the fact that the GM never rolls, never, like, it seems like NPCs should be able to, like, it, it seems like they should be able to do something and have a check as to whether they're successful or not. As yeah, opposed- I, mean, I think the trick of it is that it just means that NPCs can only do stuff when the player characters fail. Yeah, well, NPC enemies can yeah. only do stuff. But like when Minerva's kicking ass or what, like it seems not that Griffin would, he, even in balance, he didn't really roll dice when he fought himself. But like, you know, if she's in a fight with the other guy, like it seems like a natural place to have, um, to have, uh, uh, the NPCs make a roll and they, they just never did. Right. Yeah, and I I would I agree with that. Certainly, um, that seems like an odd system, especially especially I think that they seem the way they kind of abandoned it at the back end. Especially there is they got lost in a lot of when they were attacking attacking inanimate objects, which was required a surprising amount in this campaign. Yep that they, I think, found the limitations of that system. Like, if you're just going to attack a computer console, why do you have to roll? What does it mean if, like, they just, I mean, Griffin just definitely stopped giving out harm at the end of the game. Uh, yeah. 
for it would, just wasn't going to be narratively interesting, right? Or or relevant, really. Like the heroes are going to survive. We're not rerolling characters in the finale. This is how it goes down. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's when um, Travis. Uh, uh, oh God, what's his name? Thacker was going to take harm, and Travis uh, use protection. L- yeah, levels up to use protection. Yeah. Um, the yeah, factor it, at the end was unstable, which never meant anything after he said those words. Well, he said he was unstable, but then he didn't end up taking that to harm that yeah. made him unstable because so, Aubrey protected him. Yeah. Fast and loose with that system. I think a little bit. Yeah. I is that, and that's the idea that you, if you hurt something, it has to hurt you back. Just doesn't sit right with me. Um, and I like the more straightforward attack roles D&D has. I will say, though, I don't think... I mean, this is probably an obvious thing, but Amnesty would not have been Amnesty if they were playing D&D. Um, I think D&D is a little hard to fit into a modern setting, uh, and I don't think they could have told the story in the same way without using a more loose system. No, I, I agree completely. and And I think... You know, as we look forward into what comes next, I'm not, you know, I'm also not saying go back to D&D. I just think that, you know, this was definitely allowed Amnesty to be what it was. Um, and that I think there are pros and cons to any system out there. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited that for whatever, what's this going to be? Uh, I think Travis said Taz. it's going to be called G. Taz G is coming up next. Yeah, we can we can start speculating on that if if we'd like. It could be a lot of things. There are a lot Wait, of words to start about with game G. system first, and then uh, just start spitting out words that start with G. Do what was that? Do what first? Do do we want to try to even call what game system it might be, and then I mean, or just worry about the name? Let's be honest. We only know about game systems once we've heard the McElroys play them. So. I I know of at least one other game system. And that's so, because of another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're gonna play so they're gonna play GORP. <laughs> Taz GURPS. GURPS, that's what it is. <laughs> GORP is the trail mix. <laughs> GORP with pepperoni. Ugh, Lots God, of pepperoni. So gross, but I'm also into it. <laughs> I did mean to I haven't made any yet. Good pepperoni. Uh, I feel like it would be really bad, but I would try it. I mean, I'll try anything once. Yeah, exactly. Um, is there anything else we want to say about Amnesty? No, I think I think we've sort of talked Amnesty out. I think it's time to look towards the future. We have Taz G ahead of us, and we have to figure out what that is. Ghost. Mm, oh shit! Too, strong, too strong starting argument. Nah, it won't be ghost. Gerblins. They're starting oh. balance again. Well, no, but that could be interesting. But the player characters are Gerblins, and that is yes. It's it's a short. It's a because they all get killed by the balance characters. <laughs> is this going to be like a Ender's Game, Ender's Shadow kind of pairing? Well, the second, the third campaign will be them playing as Bean as the Gerblins. Love mm-hmm. it. Um, I think it, it could be Griffin. 
I was thinking of like something like game or game on and they're uh like in a casino heist. I could also see that in like uh you know, like not a fantasy world, but like a meta video game world. Yeah, I mean they did a heist in Star Wars, a casino heist in Star Wars. Uh well I mean even just absent the heist thing, just sort of you know, oh. video games are obviously a big part of their lives, and yeah, just yeah. and I think it's safe to say a large part of their audiences, right? Yeah, like as Ganondorf, that would be a really cool touchstone. Uh, Taz as, Gravel, and they play as miners, Chilean miners. Uh, Taz Grass, and they all play as potheads. As giraffe, and they all play as brontosaurus. Get trees, Tr- trees. It's trees. just them. It's this them. Let's playing the board game photosynthesis and see what happens. <laughs> uh, when when I was a kid, I started a new game of um. This will all, it'll all tie back in a second. <laughs> it was we got uh, time. Go for it. It was Zelda, A Link to the Past, and I named my character, I was like four years old, and I named my character G-G-G-G-G-G-G, and I think that might be Taz G-G-G-G-G-G-G. <laughs> so what they did is they found Colin's copy of A Link to the Past at a used store somewhere, and that's where they got the idea. I mean, if they want to set an RPG in the Zelda universe, that would be dope it would be tight as except the main character isn't named link he's named Gink. oh just g's just eight g's in a row what if it's taz glass i could see glass and they're bartenders uh taz gas and they're jupiter damn it chris i was about to make fuck (laughs) (laughs) Taz Giants does it have to be one word can it have they could be two words can't they because Taz just us is the J one yeah that's true which complicates things a great deal uh Taz Taz Groupon Man, I didn't think that, that was that funny, but I'm really enjoying Chris's reaction to it. It's by like a big crate of photo collage frames or something. <laughs> like a, like a, four, a, It's a five for one spa deal, and their whole campaign is trying to find a fifth person to go to the spa with them. Because they really want to make their most, they get the most money out of it. Uh, that's it. That's the one, Taz Groupon. Taz Groupon. Coming soon a couple weeks that seems like a really either bad or great like stoner movie it's gonna be i mean if they do a sponsored an entire campaign that's sponsored that's genius and good for them (laughs) if they do one for groupon that's not sponsored they're idiots and need to talk to their business manager (laughs) (laughs) why is it hard to think of g words taz griffin will be in trolls (laughs) three <laughs> Taz, great to meet you, 
and they are a uh, social networking service. Uh, Taz Galoshes. I like it. I like it. Taz Galoshes. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm imagining sort of a noir setting. Um, With galoshes? Okay. In in Alaska? It's always raining. Like, they need big boots to keep their feet dry as they're hitting the pavement. (laughs) I, I tell you, nothing brings... Film noir to my mind like a pair of galoshes. Big, clompy galoshes. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, it reminds me of those old L.A. film noirs. Yeah, Dick Tracy and the missing galoshes. I I love it, Jake. I love it's it. very good. Um, it's a very good pull. Uh, gemstones. Oh. Or just gem. Or Gemini. Go yeah, Gemini, yeah. Or something about uh, twins. Uh, Gladiator Gravy And it's a follow up to Munch Squad That's what So he, Justin keeps talking about Munch Squad ending Because it's going to become Taz Munch Taz Squad gravy. stops being a bit I'm a bim bam And just becomes a full flash Taz campaign Wherein I don't know The plot isn't really important at that point they're all they're they're a PR they're role playing as a PR firm that works for Arby's. Oh, oh shit! Uh oh, it's totally it's gonna be Taz Gorp. No, yeah, that's it. It's over. That's probably it. It's definitely Gorp. Uh, Taz Gorp. But what does Gorp stand for? <laughs> Get off. Randy right. pepperonis. Yeah, get off my get off my parentheses. Gump. Randy pepperonis. Gump. 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 Taz guppies. Oh, they're all fish. They're oh uh, yeah, an underwater adventure. Ooh, That'd be ooh, fun. Ooh, ooh. Broader Taz Galapagos. Oh. oh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do some hmm. turtle wrangling. Try getting ready for Animal Crossing 2. Taz gastrointestinal. No, that's nope. nothing. Put that away. That's not. No, it. that's too personal since they all have GI issues to begin with. Right, yeah. I don't I don't need that on two podcasts. <laughs> uh Taz Taz government. Oh, and now we're getting back to Clint's campaign. Yeah, the what was it, King of the U.S. or yeah. something? Yep, King of America. Uh, right, which I boy, that was maybe my least favorite part of the entire adventure zone. It was tough. That was a tough uh, run. Taz geometry, and it's like flatland. Taz geometry has a nice ring to it. If they can make a compelling story out of it. Uh. Well, you only have to allude to it somewhat. Yeah, just as long as there's angles in there somewhere. They're all yeah. mathematicians working on the space program. Uh, yeah. Exactly. All my campaigns get very specific. <laughs> very narrow. <laughs> there's no open worlds in mine. You like you have an office job and that's what I want to see you do for 30 episodes. What about what about uh what about uh uh gallows? Oh, Salem witch trials? Could be. 
I don't know if they use the gallows so, much, more like stoning so, and water, but yeah, sure. No, they, no, no, no. Back in Salem Witch Trials, everybody was hanged except Giles Corey. He was the only one that was pressed to death. Oh, all right. Well, then, great. I'm into it. It's like Anna Green Gables, but different. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe, I mean, I don't, I've never seen Red Anne of Green Gables, but. My understanding is that it's very different. Yeah, pretty much about as different as you can be. (laughs) From the Salem Witch Trials. But still good role-playing material. As Galileo. Ooh. Oh, I like that. Oh, they could be pirates. Wait, wait, Galileo and you got to sea adventure? Yeah. I mean... I'd like the idea of a sea adventure, Chris, but I don't know how you got there from Galileo. Well, didn't he invent the telescope? Like a map or something? Mm. Yes. <laughs> By that time, no one had thought of maps before. <laughs> I, listen, I'm afraid the longer we go at this, our listeners are going to start thinking I'm a lot wait. dumber than I think I am. Wait, is it gangsters? Oh, Just, no, it's oh, not that, gangsters. That's too on the nose, right? It's Test. way too on the nose. It would be a very good and logical next. Not logical, necessarily, but like they could definitely play something out where they're all 20s gangsters. Well, I could see pirates, too. I just don't know why they'd call it Galileo. Don't but maybe you? that's maybe that's the name of the ship. I There's a... Listen, I got there. The rest of the audience will get there. Just call it Taz Galileo and be pirates. Uh, <laughs> that's a real red herring. Like, isn't well, there a ship called, here. like, Galleas? Send down the wrong path. A Gallus? A, a Galleon or something? Galleon's a boat, is for sure. Ship? Yeah. Uh, uh, what's that? Oh, I lost it. It's Gabriel? Right. You're, Ga- you're, allowed, you're allowed to lose it, Colin. I think, I think the three of us may have uh, lost it in a more, more broader sense <laughs> over the course of these last... 52 and a half. It depends on how I edit this episodes that we've, that we've created. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I've really reflected on over this process is I miss enjoying Taz for Taz. Yeah. It's definitely tough to listen to Taz as someone who knows they have to have to go talk about it later. As opposed to being excited to talk about it later. Goggles. So, I think... uh, (laughs) This is how I process emotion. (laughs) Hey, listeners. Jake and I are going to talk to you for a minute. And Colin's going to shout out G-words. Please bear with us. Gadget. The three of us have come to the conclusion that we really liked being Taz fans. And maybe didn't like being hosts of a Taz fan cast. As good as we are on it, because we are the best. Um, So we are going to take an indefinite, possibly forever break from creating this podcast. Um, We're going to go back to just sort of listening and enjoying with all of you. And we will be deep in those Reddit discussions and on all of those conspiracy theory threads on Twitter. Um, You can hit us up at wedothatpod at gmail.com or at wedothat underscore pod at... Fuck! God damn it! I... To have last chance to get it right and I couldn't do it. Anyway, find us on social media. You can do it. Um, and I think I think it'll be much more fun to interact that way. You know, that's yeah. you know, like 
I haven't been particularly active on the Twitter lately because. God, give us your reason, Jake. Our interactions have been here, and it's it's. I agree. Faces. I, I well, that's just what I do. Um, I totally agree. I. I don't know. It's it's. I think I would have been critical of Amnesty anyway because there are certain aspects of it I just didn't enjoy. But having to come on here and I mean, having is a strong word. Yeah, we we, <laughs> we did invent this problem for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah correct. Fair. But now we're also solving it for ourselves, uh, 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 so to speak. Um, so I mean, I think I think we still all enjoyed. Doing this podcast, absolutely, uh, and we're searching for the next thing for us to do together. Uh, whether that's a podcast or you know a bi-monthly curated, curated fruit basket, fruit basket. Um, uh, we're still figuring that out. Uh, but I mean, I think if you just goji berries, you- Taz goji berries. <laughs> I tell you, it's addicting. Once you start thinking of those G words. You just can't stop. I feel, I feel good about this one. Uh, uh, so, I mean, I think if you just watch this space or watch our uh, Twitter feed, um, you know, I don't, I don't think it'll necessarily be under the we do that name, but uh, I think we're definitely still looking for ways to create and be active. So, um, so if you have any ideas or things that you think the three of our dumb voices would be, um, well attuned to give us a shout you can hit us up at on twitter at we do that underscore pod or on gmail at gmail.com <laughs> if you have lots of good what taz g could be by all means we're going to start a twitter thread uh this evening to kick that off and you can just jump on that bandwagon and let's all have at it together um we are so thankful for everyone who has listened to the three of us talk about Taz for some reason. Y'all have been really the best. We've really enjoyed making this. Um, we're excited to become fans again and join you in the fandom of this wonderful thing that the McElroys have created and get back to uh, a little bit more of what we love about it and less about feeling like we have to maybe critique it every week. Um, that's on us. We created that for ourselves, but it'll be nice to get back to being just fans. We are so grateful this, for this experience and we will see y'all again sometime soon somewhere on the internet. Bye, everybody. Gallstones. (laughs) 